This is On Tap with Bill Clark. What is On Tap? I've had some of the best conversations over a pint of ale, a glass of Pilsner, or a bottle of brew. Conversations over a beer will include sports, family, work, hobbies, and the weather. But we won't stop there. We'll dive into what inspires us and what drives us as humans. I will invite some of my friends, coworkers, mentors, and community leaders to share some of their wisdom, advice, and of course, some of their favorite beverages. We pray our conversation blesses you and helps you find joy in this journey of life. Cheers. Welcome to On Tap with your host, Bill Clark. Welcome to On Tap. This is Bill Clark. Today I have my uh, my former boss actually on with me. I also call him a friend, but he was actually my boss and signed my time cards back at Glory Day. So I have Chris Thompson. No P T H O M S O N Thompson on with us today. How you doing, Chris? Doing well, Bill. Thanks for having me on. And I appreciate the moniker of friend more than boss. Never really felt like a boss relationship. We were always colleagues. Except for when you had to be a boss. <laughs> a couple of times. Yeah. It all worked out. We're not going to record those today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yep. Grew up in this area many years ago, and uh, after college, ended up in St. Louis for about 14 years, pursuing my dream of being involved in the stock market. That met with varying degrees of success, and uh, ultimately found myself wanting to change, needing to do something a little more meaningful and God opened a door back in Iowa at uh, the church that I grew up in and so came back and was the business manager there for three years and then found myself uh, being called to Gloria Day where I've been for the last five as executive director and feel very blessed uh, to be in that role. Great, great team, great church, great people and uh, have felt a real uh, a real kinship with a lot of them. I felt like I found a church family, and that was something that kind of escaped me for many years. So that part's been good. Um, yeah, it's good to be back close to family. My parents still live here, and my brother's in Denver. My sister's in Columbus, Ohio now, as of about six months ago. So kind of spread out, but yeah, it's good. And uh, I appreciate you having me on, Bill. We've always enjoyed our back and forths. And, Look forward to another good conversation today. Awesome. Awesome. Ooh, got some, got some little feedback there. Um, yeah, we were just sharing, sharing about what we each have in common. It's not my direct grandma, but your grandma's 103. My wife's grandma's 103, just talking about that. So um, another, another guy just popped in my head was uh, the bearded one, Mr. Coble. I'm just starting to think about him. I'm like, oh, he's not around. I need to give him a call and talk to him. That was a tough one for me personally. I'm glad that you had him on your podcast already. I know that you guys are close, and uh, he was 
just a really good mentor and confidant for me on staff. And so uh, for him to, to leave definitely leaves a hole, but I know that our friendship will endure and probably one or two comments I have for you today will be echoes of, of Mr. Coble and, and the wisdom he has shared with me. Indeed, indeed. All right, so we always uh, share what we're uh, drinking. What are you drinking today? I saw a bottle of water, but I hope I got something different there. I've got a longboard island lager from the delightful people at Kona. Nice. Have you been to Kona? I think you've been to Kona, haven't you? I've been to the Kona Brewery. There you go. So I but thought they, so. So that would be a little shout out to you. But they don't actually make Kona beer there anymore after Budweiser bought them. They oh, make no. it in the States and just put the label on it. Oh. Well, that's a little disappointing, but I All right. feel like I'm on an island. So the last out of my uh, little uh, IPA uh, sampler pack from St. Louis, this is the last one. It's called Divided Sky. It's a rye IPA from Four Hands Brewing Company in St. Louis, Missouri. So I just cracked it open. I haven't had a taste yet, but rye and beer are mm -hmm. two of my favorite things. It's all coming together. Yeah, I can drink that. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I prepped you with some questions, and we can do this quickly because I don't want to get into some of the other stuff that we kind of have in common. Um, but I started this with Mike. and so Just real yeah. quick, three people you'd like to have a beer with, and they have to be alive. And, and, and technically, Jesus is alive, but he's ascended, so they have to be alive and on this earth. So fortunately, I listened to the podcast with Mike, and I was prepared for this question in case it came up. So I, I have my three. Uh, so one, of course, and you're not going to be surprised by this, is Mike Donahue, who uh, was the lead singer of 10th Avenue North. Uh, they have, for all intents and purposes, disbanded. But God has used Mike so much in my faith walk over the years, uh, from the songs that he's written to the video journals he's produced. Uh, just, just a great man of God and got a lot of great insights. So that's one I would definitely love to hang out with. Uh, I, I heard uh, Mike mention briefly Matt Chandler as a possibility, and that's that's somebody who I would love to sit down with. Again, uh, you know, the brain cancer, for, he, he could have easily been gone. And as much as I hate that some other men of faith that I've looked up to in my life are no longer here, you know, God healed him. And God continues to give him a, a big platform, and he continues to carry it off faithfully. And so I definitely would want to spend some time with him and hear more of his story. And then, so you you kind of brought in Will Farrell last time, so I figured a little levity would be good, too. And uh, John Krasinski uh, played Jim on The Office, you know, and this is just a guy from Boston who's just hilarious. I mean, uh, just a good, solid, down-to-earth guy, and he just seems like he'd be great to have a beer with. So. Those are my three. You have the same three as last time, or do you have other ideas? Uh, no, they're they're staying the same. So, um, still the Rock, because when I work out, I I work out just like the Rock. Uh, yeah, Bono, because you probably heard more YouTube music from my office than you probably ever cared in your entire life. And three. Interestingly, I heard both a lot of YouTube and YouTube from your office. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Will Ferrell's still third, but 
when you said Mike Donahue, I remember uh, uh, one of his books that just came out, Finding God's Life for My Will. And so often, I mean, there's books about we make plans and we ask God to bless it versus us trying to seek what God's plans are for our life. And there's just great stuff in here. I mean, I read it mm -hmm. after uh, we closed the church down and, um, you know, because it's kind of like, what's next? And so I read that book and I've actually used it for free sermons. And he's just a cool dude, Mike Donahue. Yeah, we get so busy asking what we we think God wants us to do with our lives that if we just take a step in faith forward, God will use us no matter where we're at. Like it's, it's a more about our heart posture than where we're physically located. So yeah, I love his heart. Yeah. You know, it, and, uh, it, I, I should go back and read it again, but I'm in the middle of a class and I'm like four books behind already. And so, I just read uh, Ch Chad Bird. You heard Chad Bird? Is that LCMS pastor? No. Yeah, I just read a book by him, um, pastor that fell and wrote it down. And he was a truck driver in between stuff. And kind of his books about driving a truck at night through oil fields in Texas and his thoughts. So really good stuff. So I know a couple of people that um, you probably would have at your table if they were alive would be Nabil Qureshi and. Ravi Zacharias, and those two guys are huge in the apologetics world. Um, and if yeah. people listen, don't know what apologetics is, it's basically defending the faith. Um, I think of it as people are have questions about religion and faith, and I'm basically apologizing using the gospel for what may have happened to them in their life, or a church, you know, maybe a church or a pastor did or said something to them. Um, but I got to see Ravi speak in person uh, on New Year's Day this year, and he passed away just a few months later. So, yeah, I know you, you tweet and you read a lot of stuff. What's, what's something that, um, I know you do a lot of you know, social media, but what's something that from apologetics that, that really struck a chord with you, and why do, why do you seek it you know, with other people? So, like you, like you mentioned, the word, and you, you've got some Greek in you now, so you'll probably know how to pronounce this better than I do, but it's the, is it apologia or apologia? From First Peter 3.15. What is it? I think it's apologia. Apologia. Okay. So, yeah, the word defense in First Peter is 3.15, be prepared to give a defense for the hope that resides within you. And I think... I can't actually tell you how I got started in apologetics. Um, I have a feeling it, it did begin when I was de-churched in St. Louis. I had a, a church that I was a part of for seven or eight years. And for lack of a better phrase, I got kicked out of it um, and became de-churched for about four years. And in those four years, God was just so good and gracious and brought me so many good teachers uh, you know, the usuals like a Piper and a Keller and Chandler and Chan, but then also Ravi and starting to understand how to talk to different people about my faith and making those connections, especially with people who didn't have a faith background or had a completely different worldview. How do you, how do you have that conversation in a way that's meaningful and relevant to them? And so 
I also want to be able to defend my faith better. Like, you know, why do I believe what I believe? I think a lot of Christians just go through life and, you know, well, this is what I believe. And then when somebody asks them why, they don't have any words to say. They're like, well, just because I've always believed it. Well, that's not very convincing. Mm -hmm. So Ravi was one of those guys who, I think like the most brilliant guys have a way of distilling everything down into simple terms that everyone can understand. He was just really good at doing that. And he always answered people with gentleness and respect, which of course is what the Bible tells us to do as well. And one thing I really learned from Ravi is that you're not answering a question. If somebody asks you a question, you're not really answering the question. What you're really answering is the person who's asking the question. And so to take the time to get to know the person, where they're coming from, what their story is, so that you can know where the question is coming from and you can better answer it in a way that's going to help them as meaningful to them. So that's been part of my journey with Ravi. And of course, Nabil was a, a mentee of, of Ravi. Um, but both of those guys were not Christians up until the time they were, you know, 17, 18, 20 years old. So. I think that's a cool part of their story, too. God grabbing a hold of them and using them. It's almost like modern day Paul, right? Mm -hmm. Paul, the wrong direction, God grabbing him, doing a 180 and using him in ways that Paul could never have imagined. And I'm sure Ravi and Nabil felt the same way on some level. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Ravi tried to commit suicide when he was a teenager. 17. Uh, yeah. yeah. Missionary um, was in India, had a, had a, uh, King James Bible gave it to his mother. His mother was reading scripture when he came to. Um, but he's got a way yeah, of... Yeah, you remember what scripture it was? Oh, I should, but I don't. So it's out of John 14, when Jesus says, because I live, so yeah. shall you live also. Yeah. yeah. And that just spoke words of life into Ravi. You know? It's like my life's not over. Yeah, he, he just had a way, I mean, incredibly brilliant. He probably could have been, you know, an engineer or, I mean, done anything, you know, computers. But people I've encountered, like in seminary classes or been in, been in you know, see him speak, is they take these high-level, like, hard, tough questions and distill them down and they understand it, but then they communicate it and teach it to you. And very few people have that talent. Very few people have that talent. Very true. Grateful when we find them, aren't we? Yeah. And and I have to admit that I've kind of, you know, I, I pulled back a little bit, you know, in the last, I don't know. It seems like everybody hopped on social media when COVID hit because that was kind of our only way to, you know, we were literally held up in our houses. And so it was our only way to communicate out in the, in the world because we weren't seeing people anymore. And it just seemed like it really amped up, like, you know, you're on one side or the other. And um, try, you think, you know, I think about posting something and then I don't, and then I do, and then I change it. And it's like, you know, I shouldn't be af afraid of offending. So I mean, I don't want to offend people, I, but it's so hard without sitting down with somebody face to face and, you know, part of communication is body language and, 
you know, inflection and all that stuff. And I mean, I could have be well intentioned and somebody's going to take it the wrong way. And then, you know, you go back and read scripture and Jesus offended people. <laughs> I mean, we, we don't, it's like, how could you say that? Cause Jesus, you know, Jesus is, is love. And I'm like, well, he offended plenty of people by speaking the truth. <laughs> you know, you don't want to say something in an offensive way, right? If you're speaking truth in love and it then, and it, rubs against the other person's worldview to the point where they become offended that's different so you know just make sure and i have done that it's funny you say that where you start to type something and you stop and uh, i probably only put on social media 10 percent of the things that i want to because the other 90 percent are not you know it's it's more of me than it is god right it's i want to say something i want to get my point in there i you know Whereas, what does God want me to say about this, and how does he want me to say it? And so, yeah, we have to remember why we do what we do. Um, but people will get offended if, if they have built their identity on their ideas, and you contradict one of their ideas, now you have a personal attack on that person. And that's where we're at in this country. And so it's very difficult to have a good back and forth conversation with somebody who feels that way. I can love you and I disagree with you at the same time. It's okay. Yeah, but then I see Christians using scripture to attack, I mean, attack people, offend people, defend things that aren't Christian. And you just, well, I don't have any hair to pull out, but um, it just seems like, I heard this quote, my buddy said this, and it, it seems like we're arguing over which place setting to put out for dinner the last night before the Titanic sails. That's good. I like that. You know, we, we, we don't see the big picture out there. We're just so focused on what I think is right and what has to be that we don't want to understand anybody else. We don't want to seek to be understood. You don't try to figure out what's the question behind the question. Because that's where I got a lot of the people is, you know, I'm going through a, a synoptic gospels class and we spent like two classes discussing the theories about which, how the gospels were written, you know, was Mark written first, was Matthew written first. But, and I was like, I've never really cared about which one's first because I believe they're true. <laughs> but somebody along the line has answered those questions and they've debated it and debated it and debated it, you know? We know we we probably know Luke was one of the last ones because he wrote he's he, I mean he basically started his gospel by saying other people have tried to write this stuff down but I'm gonna, here's here's my version you know so yeah so it and it, it just seems like you know Adam and Eve tried to outthink God and we still do you know yeah as I was thinking a little bit about our chat today thinking about it last night that was one of the things that came to my mind was we have the same problems you know they had back in the garden which is to your point we think we know better than god we think that god's holding out on us if we could just do things the way we want them to do life would be better you know and even christians who we know better like you and i we know better like we know that only good things are going to come when we pursue creator savior redeemer and yet we find ourselves looking for joy and happiness in wrong places because we're still struggling with the, with the idea that God is everything that we need. 
and and this is a culture that definitely needs God but doesn't know that they need him and how do we as Christians bridge that gap not easy to do I say a lot of people don't know they need God until they need God I was like the the analogy of do you treat God as a spare tire or a steering wheel right so is God one who's kind of driving your life or is it only when your car is in the ditch upside down or you know you have a flat tire and something goes terribly wrong you're like oh okay now now God can come in and get back on the road no I mean he's either he's either in charge or he isn't he's not a genie in a bottle that pops out whenever it's convenient for you that's not it's not the relationship God is after with for us. Yeah. Well, the way of Jesus is not the American way. You know, it's 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 complete. It's completely opposite. It's it's it. You know, it's the two worlds we live in as a Christian, but as a U.S. citizen, and we get to balance that or try to not even balance it. It's not the right word because. We live in God's kingdom first, and then we live in this country second. And so, you know, it, it just, you know, everybody's like, well, when this thing gets over, well, I don't know. I mean, it's history. It's the past. Time has gone by, and, you know, we don't know what the future holds. People's like, well, after we get through this season, or we get through the, you know, we get through these next few months, or we get through the election, or we, you know, we get through the winter, then, you know, next year it'll be all, It'll all be fine. I mean, frankly, I can can't wait till I don't have to pick up a mask when I pick up my car keys. You know. Yeah. yeah, it's not going to be fine, right? It's never going to be fine in a broken world that continues to pursue itself as its own savior. It's just never going to be fine. But there are easier seasons than others, and those seasons of relative easiness can give us a sense of comfort that isn't real we feel like we're in control but that's an illusion and i think most of us have had that illusion ripped away from us whatever might have been left i mean most of us already know you know a lot of us have been through some stuff and we know that we are not in control of today or tomorrow but for a lot of people the last six months have removed that illusion of control that they think that they have and that's left people in some dire straits emotionally and mentally they don't know what to do with that so one of the great apologetic topics of course is suffering right what do you do with suffering how do you think about it how do you process it the christian worldview has an answer for it jesus said you're going to have trouble in this world and it's because this world is broken and separated from its creator by sin but if you have just a regular you know good people good things should happen to good people kind of worldview and suffering comes your way you don't have any way to process it it's just something that really bad that's happening to you and it has no meaning or purpose but we know that from scripture suffering does have meaning and purpose god uses trials to strengthen us to refine us to draw us closer to him there's he's working in it but if you don't have god and suffering comes it's a dark day yeah, dark indeed. That's a. Uh, then you start listening to voices in your head. 
you know, people are getting to some dark places. And uh, somebody's listened to this, perhaps. I mean, if you got questions about, you know, you can reach out to Chris or I, or um, I'll tag him in this. And we certainly have a conversation. It's just on other guys, you know, because I know a lot of people are holding stuff in. And, you know, I'm going through a season two, or, you know, I'd like to be in a church full time, but it's not God's time. So, um, well, if you look at Dak Prescott, right, just in the news last week, where he talks about his times of dealing with anxiety and depression, and this is the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. So, I just thought that was incredibly awesome of him to put himself out there and to say this is reality, and I deal with it. And hey, most of us deal with it. If you if you're listening to this and you haven't dealt with anxiety or depression. You are in the minority. I, I have actively dealt with depression for many, many years in my life. And that's as a Christian. So just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're immune from these things. But it does mean that it's not happening without purpose to you. God is working in it. God's there with you through it. God has said he will never leave you nor forsake you. So you never have to go through it alone. Even when it seems like everything else is falling apart in your life, God is right there. The foundation is right there. You just have to take that one step. And, yeah, redemption is available to us, right? Restoration, healing, all those things. And, and that doesn't mean in this life you're healed, does not nope. right? Chesterton, Chesterton, who dealt with uh, depression his entire life, one of the, I think it was him, mm-hmm. or was it Spurgeon? Mm-hmm. Maybe it was Spurgeon? One of those guys, one of those great old preachers, dealt with depression their entire lives. And you would say, well, why did God not heal? You know, because I'm sure they cried out over and over and over again for God to remove it. And I just go back to Paul and the thorn in the flesh, right? There was a reason why God gave that to him. And and in spite of the thorn, Paul found incredible joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. I remember you and Mike talking a little bit last week about joy, you know, and that joy transcends circumstances and how important it is for us to pursue a joy that can't be taken away from us. Because if we're finding joy in sports, we, you know, I've got a couple of friends who really love sports. They were pretty miserable there for quite a few months when sports was taken away from them. Well, we, we've got to be careful. We're not putting our hope and our joy in things that can be taken away. To your point, the U.S., if this world goes on long enough, the U.S. may not be around anymore, but God's kingdom will be around forever. Yeah, if you know anything about the 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 the, uh, the, the Roman Empire, which was probably considered one of the most powerful empires of, in all of history, uh, the Roman Empire defeated the Roman Empire. They, it was within and split and. Um, now they say, you know, 500 years is kind of what an empire lasts, and we're just about 250, you know. I'm not going to see, I'm not going to see the last 250 or, you know, when we get to 500, but, yeah, there's just a lot of, um, you know, it's been 500 years since, what, the, the, um, the Reformation, right? And so, you know, God's still working, and, you know, we're trying to figure it out, and 
still trying to use our brains to make sense of it, but there's still a mystery to God that we don't understand. And we got to own that mystery and we got to try to explain it to other people. And if that makes me a fool, then I'm a fool, but I'll be a fool for Jesus. And, uh, you know. Yeah, anytime that uh, there are questions that I don't have answers to or there's mysteries of God that, and sometimes the mysteries of God are just for us to just be in awe of his glory and his beauty. Our finite mind is not supposed to encapsulate an infinite God. So sometimes we just worship regardless of the fact that we can't quite make sense of it. But, man, if, if we just can still ourselves enough to just call out to God and to orient our hearts toward him, and if we ever question his goodness, we simply go back to the cross. You know, the resurrection, you talk about apologetics, the resurrection is one of the best apologetics from history. It has not been disproven after 2,000 years. They've tried. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of theories as to what happened. They don't hold up in terms of history. You know, it's a well-attested historical event written by people outside of the Bible as well. And so. For a God to love his people so much that he would sacrifice himself for us, whatever may be going on in my life that I think God is holding out on me or God's not doing it right or God's got this wrong, I go back to the cross and go, no, God knows what he's doing and he's doing it for me. Amen. We know, we know the, cro- the Jesus of the cross, but, you know, but then there's the three days later, there's Jesus of the empty tomb. So. You know, it's bought and paid for, and but still, I mean, like you, you talk about bouts of depression, it's like you can just feel it come over you sometimes. It's like, you know, and there's no explanation why. There's just like, I don't feel like talking. I just want to sleep a little more, you know. I mean, especially coming off taking like seven weeks of Greek. I mean, I'm, I kicked my butt. <laughs> that was deep immersion. Yeah, I, I mean, not to pretend to know like what a, a soldier goes through boot camp, but it was it was boot camp, you know. So that was definitely pastor boot camp. That was that's a lot. We're just trying to think of apologetics and defending the faith, and you know, kind of where where do you see where do you see the church a year from now? I mean, you work in a church five years from now, ten years from now. Where do you see the church? Yeah, well, I know the church has an opportunity like it always does. Um, I think in many ways, the pandemic has accelerated different trends inside and outside the church. And one trend that has accelerated, you know, where you would have an in-person service, you'd have a a live stream service, and you would try to reach different parts of your congregation in different ways. So we know that that's happening and going to accelerate from here. But one thing that's probably happened is, and Tim Keller talks about this has been happening for a while because he was asked the question of, well, why, why is church attendance going down? Does that mean that the culture is becoming more secular? And he said, well, I think what you're seeing is that a lot of the lukewarm people are leaving the church. And so it's not that the country is becoming more secular, it's that the church is becoming more sacred. 
because those who are stained are the ones who are really are firm in their faith and are not just playing a game, you know, where they check off a box a couple times a month and go to a church and feel good about themselves. These are people who actually are disciples of Jesus Christ. And so when it becomes more difficult to get to church, like we've seen in the last several months, I think you probably lose some people who kind of were lukewarm about their faith. They were kind of in, they were kind of out. Eh. But now it's hard to go, so really, there's really no reason for me to go. So hopefully the church comes back, maybe we're already seeing this in some ways, but more fervent, more committed, more united, and able to make a more indelible and lasting impression on the community around them. That's my hope, is that this has shown us that we may not have tomorrow, you know, so we need, we need to get after it. We, there needs to be an urgency, which of course is something Francis Chan is very fond of talking about. A lot of Christians don't have an urgency when it comes to witnessing, like, oh, I know my friend needs to hear about Jesus, but I'll wait for, you know, whenever it's the right time to do that. And sometimes it's true, there's better times than others, but let's not tarry, you know, in, in sharing that hope that lies within us. And I hope that this kind of wakes the church up in, in America a little bit more. I'm not talking about the global church, of course. I think there's a lot of parts of the global church who are very awake and have been for a long time and are very fervent because they understand persecution. They understand there might not be tomorrow. And they know that God's all they got. So we got a ways to catch up here in America. Yeah. Well, I, I go back and, uh, again, Greek class. The word that we use for church in the New Testament is ecclesia. Ecclesia was not a building. It was a gathering, an assembly. And so, you know, when mo if you ask most people today, what's a church? Well, it's a building. It's a place I go to worship. No, that's not really the word in the Greek. You know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's being together in communion with, you know, fellow believers. Um, and when I say communion, you're you're in fellowship, you're with them, you're together. Um, yeah, there's some great there's some great online worship services, um, great music, great preaching, but it does not replace being in person with the body of Christ worshiping God. It just doesn't. Yeah, you know, and I, and I said America has a ways to catch up. I should I should probably. Um, make one mention of an exception to that, and that is the black church. And I remember a sermon that Matt Chandler gave many years ago, probably was around MLK Day. And he was talking about why black church services have a way of going three or four hours. You know, he's like, if you go, if you go to an African-American church, you better pack a lunch. You know, they're going to be there a while. Well, mm -hmm. well, why? I mean, they were being beaten, killed, marginalized, segregated, They're, you know, 50s, 60s, civil rights era. I mean, you know what they had? They had God and they had each other, yep. right? And so you're darn right when you go to church, you're sticking around a while because you need to soak up all of the strength from God and from your brothers and sisters in order to make it through another week in white America. And so there's, that's what persecution can do for you. You know, we're, I see some Christians get concerned that persecution may be coming, you know, and, and some get kind of silly, like, well, you know, they don't say Merry Christmas at Home Depot anymore. Okay, that's not persecution. But um, 
you should, we should not be afraid of persecution. In some ways, we should welcome it because it actually does strip away all of the comfort, all of the nonsense that we American Christians like to bring to our idea of church. And it gets down to the nitty gritty, which is you, your brothers and sisters, and God. Mm-hmm. That's it. We get, we've got each other, you know, and we, I think we take a lot of that for granted right now because we just, we just think it'll always be there, but it may not. Amen. I just, I just remember, uh, you know, the closest I can experience to that. I mean, and really, you know, I was in Honduras on a mission trip and there was a coup. And I could see some of the fear in some people's eyes. I was one of the leaders, but I was like, hey, we might be the last team here for a while that's going to do medical mission work. Let's go out and do this. And there, you know, there's martial law on the streets. You could possibly get arrested. I mean, we weren't, we weren't being stupid, you know. And but we were able to go out that week and serve and see just as many or more people as we've ever seen, um, and share, you know, give them tangible things, but also share kind of the gospel with them. And so that's about as close as I can get to it. And I need to remember that feeling more when I'm, you know thinking about not posting something on Facebook or saying something to somebody or, you know, um, withdrawing because I'm afraid of, you know, kind of the cancel culture, somebody kind of going after, after you personally because they don't agree with you. And I guess maybe that's what I'm afraid of the most and I shouldn't be. So. Yeah. I, I think it was, D.L. Moody, is that the preacher, early 20th century, Chicago? Yeah, yeah. something like that. Anyway, so the Great Chicago Fire, it, it dispersed his congregation, and he never saw a lot of those people again, and he always lamented that he did not bring them to a point in his sermon of saying, you need to understand that Jesus Christ is what you need right now. Like, he not that he brought them to a decision for faith. You know, some some churches would do that. You know, you can come up if you want to make a decision. But he didn't like the fact that he left them without, I guess, just without bringing them to a point where they knew they need to make a decision, you know, yeah. because uh, he never got to see a lot of them again. So every sermon that he preached after that, he made sure that he preached the gospel as forcefully and clearly as possible and let them know that, hey, you may not have a tomorrow. So this is something that you're playing around with. Don't, you know, accept Jesus Christ in your heart. He's obviously knocking on the door if you're here. Open it up. So, yeah, it's just a good reminder for us all. It's it's easier not to say something. Um, It's more comfortable not to have a tough conversation, but at the end of the day, it's, again, Right, the whole point of Christianity is it's not about us. So if we're really here to love God and love others. We got to have those tough conversations. We do. We do for sure. Well, we can go. We can go. We can. We can go on and on about this um, because it's kind of stuff I love to talk about. I know you do too. But I'm gonna kind of shift gears a little bit because the last question we always ask people um, is this: What gives you joy in this journey of life? 
Yeah, so thought about this question, and uh, you know, I've already talked a little bit about depression that I've experienced in my life, and so the joy hasn't always come easily. I've had a lot of disappointments in my life, whether it's personal, professional, financial, even spiritual, with church families that I've been involved with. So uh, the battle for joy is something that I continue to fight. And I know that that joy needs to come from God and from my relationship with him. Uh, but I, I still fight that day in and day out, it seems like. You know, there are moments of joy. So to answer your question in, in that way, I enjoy conversations like this. It makes me, you know, I love being able to talk with a fellow Christian, but you know, I also enjoy these kind of conversations too with somebody who isn't a Christian. But just being able to exchange ideas and thoughts—that's uh, definitely something I enjoy. I like being—I like knowing that I've helped somebody, where I've been um, of assistance. And so that's one thing I really like about my job is I got to do a lot of problem solving and I do a lot of of helping people, whether it's inside, you know, staff or members or even people who come from outside the church wanting help. Um, to be able to be a blessing to people is something that brings me joy. And then, uh, you know, one one of my pastimes, uh, golf. I enjoy golf. I, I usually enjoy the friendship aspect that comes with golf, being out there with a, a good buddy of mine. But it's a great time for me to still a lot of thoughts in my mind and just kind of become focused on the moment. You've mentioned so, You've mentioned social media a few times. Right. There's just a never ending inundation of information in our lives from the moment we get up to the moment we go to sleep. It seems like information is constantly coming at us. And just to slow things down, to focus the mind on something that's simple and enjoyable, uh, that's really healthy for the soul and the spirit. So that's that's one reason why I enjoy golf. Well, thanks, Chris. Thanks for being with us and sharing what's on your heart, uh, being open and honest, and um, just being real. I always appreciated those conversations when I got to sit in your chair in your office. So I miss those. I miss those conversations. Don't have as much as you used to, uh, but I can see you're a great friend and a great listener. Guy's always going to give great advice. And so, like I said, if somebody wants to reach out to either one of us and has questions about anything, I know you'll listen, and I will definitely listen. So. Thanks for being with us today, Chris. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate the opportunity. Love you, brother. Love you too, man. This has been On Tap with Bill Clark. I'd like to thank once again Chris Thompson from Gloria Day Lutheran Church. That's Chris, T-H-O-M-S-O-N. Chris is executive director at Glory Day Lutheran Church in Irvindale, Iowa. Yes, he was my boss, and he is, yes, still a very good friend of mine. I always appreciate his candor and his um, listening skills and his feedback and his thoughts. And I love how he was open and honest today with us. And so if you're struggling with anxiety or questions about faith, reach out to one of us. We'd be glad to listen. We pray that our conversation today helps give you some joy in this journey of life. Cheers.